Uh-oh, it looks like we've piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I am so excited. Like, everyone in my family is excited. Um, it was so incredible because I saw this man, and I know of his accomplishments. Everyone knows uh, out there in the world, the huge football fans, that the, he's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. But the thing that impressed me the most is I've been watching him. I've been following him, and I see his emphasis on his family. I see his emphasis on him having a really good time and him becoming big, big bad Brad. I mean, this man is incredible. He's infectious. I got on the phone with him this morning. We started chatting, and it was almost like I knew him forever, and he's so welcoming. I reached out to him. He hit me back so fast, and it was so incredible because a lot of times people hide behind firewalls when they have the type of success that this man has, but he's open, but he's open to his family. He's locked into his family, wanting to make a difference um, that way, which I think is phenomenal. Um, So it is my honor, my pleasure, and I am so excited to have on the show Super Bowl champion, uh, winning quarterback, and also he is one of the baddest men on the planet. That's what he wanted me to tell his wife because she (laughs) needs to understand it. Uh, But please welcome to the the show, Mr. Brad Johnson. Awesome, Kelly. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. It's an honor. um, You know, honestly, I, I, I try to do, anybody that reaches out to me, I try to do stories with them and podcasts and stuff. And then when you reached out, I just, uh, man, it was just like, this is going to be awesome. So I appreciate it and look forward to telling stories and laughs and all the above. So thank you. So Brad, let's start, let's start from the beginning, man. I mean, you're, you're one of, uh, what is there, has there been, how many Super Bowls there been now? Is there 55? I think in that range. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of nuts real quick. There's like 46 presidents. Mm-hmm. there's uh, like 68 masters. There's like 87 or 88 Heisman's, but there's 35 guys that have won a Super Bowl, and uh, 12 guys have won it multiple times. I was not one of the 12, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, but 35, four have passed away. So there's 31 that are still living. Uh, Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas, Ken Stabler, and then Lynn, uh, Lynn Dawson. He passed away the other day, but 
it's, I pinch myself um, thinking about, you know, I was able to be a part of a great, great team, great group of guys, coaches, and, and just to, you know, reach that kind of goal and that kind of dream, make it happen. So when you started off, when you're playing youth, right, because especially youth today, when you're playing youth today, a lot of times the parents on the sideline, every person thinks that their kid is going to be one of the 32, you know what I mean, or 35. Right. And so they're yelling and screaming, and the kids are like, can I have fun? Can you talk to the parents out there? Uh, can you talk to the parents out there that have kids in youth sports? What should we be emphasizing? Because now you see it from a completely different side. It's interesting, okay? So I was at a camp one time, and there's like 150 camp basketball kids in this gym. And, and so the coach, he didn't have a whistle coaching 150 kids in gym because he wanted to have because in a game there's only they <laughs> they can only listen to the coach and he don't want to be he wants to be able to speak and talk and the, and the players can hear his voice through the crowd and it was really interesting when our kids were little my wife we're, uh, my youngest son jake was playing a basketball game she was holding one of those those uh ipads and and it's really interesting she's like shoot run dribble block the shot shoot it shoot it get the ball and 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 what's funny is she hurt herself she hurt her voice when she replayed the video (laughs) and it kind of annoyed her like and then if you look around everyone's yelling at their kids and the shooting is like and it's 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 really interesting and i would tell you to as a parent you've already practiced you have a coach let the kid play let him play let him face the, the good. Let him face the tough. Like, <laughs> let him go through adversity. Let him turn the ball over. You know, if you strike out, it's, hey, there's, there's another inning coming. You know, there's another at bat. Talk to your kid after the game and ask them what do they enjoy? What was the most fun part about the game? And then you can get into, like, you know, maybe bend your knees and you could have got that ground ball and those kind of things. But let the coach coach. Let your kid, let the players play and, and really just kind of enjoy it as parents. Get to know the parents and let's all cheer for our kids and maybe come up with nicknames for the kids and, and those kind of things. But let the kids play and let them grow. Let them deal with adversity over time. So, Brad, uh, a little known fact about you, too. I mean, obviously being a, an elite quarterback and playing at the highest level and winning at the highest level, um, you also are a basketball. Uh, you have a basketball love. And – so can you can you talk to us too? Uh, you know, I wanted to know about um, a lot of times in youth sports now, a kid will get into soccer at seven years old, and then they only play soccer for their whole entire life. How important is it to be able to cross train, or is it even important for kids when they're grown up? I think it's it's extremely important. Um, play as many sports as you can, especially early. When when you start getting high school, like the times run over, like the seasons kind of overlap too much. And it's really sometimes you, you don't find many kids that can play three sports anymore, not alone two, and hopefully you're playing one, those kind of things. But at an early age, play them all. Find out what you're good at. Find out what, you're, what you struggle at. Find out something that you love to do, and maybe you're not as good at it now that you might become better at it in time. And, and I think situational stuff like basketball, it's, it's man-to-man. We learn out-of-bounds plays from man-to-man zone plays it's a one it's a one two it's an odd front we learn how to give an even front it's an even front we learn how to give an odd front we learn timeouts situations how much time is on the clock like be competitive in different sports and they'll carry over there's a huge carryover and athletically there's a huge carryover too from sport to sport and i think it's and and the other part is being a leadership 
Like sometimes you may be better at one sport, but then you struggle at another sport and then you're kind of counting on teammates and, and those kind of things. And just, I think it's a huge carryover. I wish kids would play more sports and I would encourage all, oops, about failure on my iPad there. <laughs> but uh, sorry about that. But play as many as you can and go out in the backyard and play, play tag and play kickball and come up with imaginary games and just, just play. And uh, it doesn't always have to be a trainer. It doesn't always have to be a guru, those kind of things, but just learn to play, play shirts and skins and those kind of things. And there will be, it'd be a huge benefit in time when it comes to choose maybe that one sport. So let's, let's take it back to young Brad, right? So you start playing youth football, things like that. I mean, you're going through, can you take us through the progression? Um, because when you're elite in youth, right, everyone like immediately is like, oh, they're going to the NFL, but that's not always the case. And then you go from being elite in youth and then you go into maybe high school and high school, you're playing with all the elite from youth. And then you go to college, it's the exact same thing. Then you whittle it down to the pros. Can you take us through that progression? Because I I think a lot of people don't understand what it takes to, to be able to do the kind of things that you were able to do. It takes what it takes. It takes um, getting better. It takes making mistakes. It takes missing shots. It takes losing games. But through that kind of process, you learn how to make better shots, make better decisions, and then how to compete in different ways and find. And I always said, honestly, when I I was in PE class and we choose teams, (laughs) honestly, I would always choose like the worst player because the worst player, they're always the last one chosen. And it's the worst feeling in the world sometimes. And, but for me, I would make an impact on that person. And then and sometimes because of my level of play, it actually make the teams even, make me compete even harder for that. And then, and then sometimes that person might be, <laughs> they might be really good in school. They could help me out in class, those kind of things too. But it, it, it's like, that's, that's what you have to have. But as you go on, it's very, it, sports, life, life is very competitive. And you have to find ways to improve, find ways to get better. Go play and compete against people that are better than you. I remember uh, at, in high school, I was an All-American in, at, at my high school, Owen High School up in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And then when I went to Florida State, I was the seventh-string quarterback. <laughs> I went from the, one of the top guys in America to the seventh-string quarterback. So when you stretch the number one guy, he's at the 50, the second's at the 45, the third's at the 40, the 35. I'm back there at the 15-yard line, like stretching, like, but you learn, you learn how to compete. You learn how to work for what you want to earn. So when you came into the league, you came in, uh, you were in the ninth round. You were, uh, you were drafted uh, 227. Okay. Right. So when you come through that, I mean, it, it's amazing because when I look at, um, not, not all the time, but when you look at super high draft picks, right? Me and my brother were talking about this the other day. Um, right. You see them, generally they go to a, a really garbage team. They get beat to death and then they're labeled as oh wow they were a bust whereas when you come in in the ninth round there's not as much expectation is that an advantage for you was that an advantage when you came in the league (laughs) i wish i'd have been drafted higher i would have made more money okay (laughs) (laughs) at early at early my stage but you know some people they're thrown into the fire too fast and they have short careers and they're not ready for those moments early. A Peyton Manning, he was able to last. And he had, I think he set the NFL record for the most interceptions, 28 in a rookie season. And luckily they didn't kick him out of town. But when I look at some of the Super Bowl winners, 
Patrick Mahomes, he sat the first 15 games of the season. Uh, Favre, he sat, uh, he sat in Atlanta when he was drafted. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he sat for three years. Tom Brady, he sat. Uh, Steve Young, he sat. Joe Flacco, he sat. Uh, uh, Kurt Warner, he sat. Eli Manning, he, they sat him for six weeks. So, you know, I, I think really, what's really important as an organization, play, play the kid or play the quarterback when he's ready for that situation. Just don't throw him in to throw him in to say, we got the first pick of the draft and let's, let's throw him in. You know, I thought, I actually thought um, San Fran last year with, with Trey Lance, they did a great job. He wasn't ready. They let him groom under uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. They gave him a year. Now it's his time to go grow and, and, and have the franchise, have the system behind the knowledge behind you to, to go ready and play. So um, for me as a ninth round pick, I didn't get snaps my first two years of practice, practice. I was, I was, I didn't get the scout team reps either. So on my off days, on Tuesdays, I'd have to go throw into a net or to an equipment manager and, and those kind of things. And so, but my, my, here's the deal too. My dad taught me, one of the greatest things my dad taught me was, he said, son, it's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Mm -hmm. So when your moment comes, be ready for your moment. And those, that's kind of the way I live. Well, let's go. Let's go into that that NFL part. First of all, what do you wish that people knew about the NFL? Because you know it from a, a fraternity side, we know it from a, sta a fan side, and we're yelling at the TV, telling the coach he should do this. Oh, quarterback, if you would have just turned this way, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you wish that more people knew about the NFL? Just the process that it takes. I mean, uh, there's there's 32 teams. They used to keep three quarterbacks, so that was 96 quarterbacks. Now there are a lot of them are keeping two, so that's 64 spots. You know, there's not that many. <laughs> there's only 1,500 players in the NFL. Those are the best of the best, you know, top gun, the best of the best. And I think the amount of time and energy that goes into uh, to a practice schedule, usually the work days, I was always in there about 637, would finish about 5 o'clock at night, then at nighttime would either watch more film or – go through my play sheets and those kind of things. But it's a long week. It's a long preparation for, you know, three or four preseason games, a 16 or 17 game schedule now, and then the playoffs. And, and so, you know, those, those guys are there working. It is a job. Uh, it's fun to play. It's, it's what you did as a little kid, but it is a lot goes into preparation for just a game. And now it's, it's changed a little bit now with preparation, just the amount of time people spend in the off season with conditioning or eating or, nutrition, uh, getting your, the right kind of rest and those kind of things just to be the best of, of what it takes to play that long of a season to be that great. So take us behind the curtain to the 2002 season. I mean, you guys were, I mean, the, your defense was a monster. Uh, my buddy out yeah. there who's probably listening, his name is Bear Trexler. He's been telling me about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for my entire life. I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, and right. I have to make sure that you right. know that. But the way that I connect this, I call it NFL math. Brad, you were the first person to ever catch your own touchdown, but the only other person in history is a guy named Marcus Mariota from the Tennessee Titans. That was my connection point, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about some of those. Uh, did you, are you a uh, Dave Chappelle fan? Not really. Okay. I haven't really watched too much of it. So, no. so there was a, there was a skit on there that was called Charlie Murphy's Hollywood Stories. I want to go to Big yeah. Bad Brad's 
2002 NFL stories, stories that, that the public generally doesn't get a chance to, to, to experience. But what you experienced in 2002, some of the things that, you know, maybe made you laugh, made you, you know, made you cry, uh, you know, went through that. So, you know, I would love to be yeah. able to hear about that season. Yeah. Uh, to go back just a little bit in time to tell you how I got in Tampa was um, I was actually in Washington playing for the Redskins at that time. And, and, and so there was, there was a, there was a receiver named Keyshawn Johnson. And he wrote this book called give me the damn ball. And I'm like, I would never want to play with that guy. <laughs> and, and so, and then there was a, this coach who actually used to coach at Oakland. And I remember him yelling at Rich Gannon going off on him. And I told my wife, I'm like, it was on Monday night football. Like I would never want to play with that guy either. He's out of control. <laughs> so <laughs> I end up with my two best friends here, Keyshawn Johnson and, and John Gruden in Tampa. We had a great relationship, but, I remember the first time I met with Gruden in his office. He had a small little office, dark. He's always watching film. And, and so I get in his office, and we're kind of entered, we're kind of just meeting for the first time. He's like, Brad, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And uh, he said, how's our defense, the great Tampa defense, how are they going to stop blast off to joker right, X short, 22, X drive, halfback burst? And how are they going to stop triple right, F right, 358, Nebraska X scene? We got John Lynch and Warren Sapp and Derrick Brooks. We're going to win a Super Bowl this year, but we're going to attack our defense. We're going to beat our defense every day. And, and he said, Brad, can you, can, you make, can you make plays with your feet? Can you make plays with your feet? And I'm sitting there, okay, we're going to win the Super Bowl. We're gonna, I can make plays with my feet. And I'll say anything I can at that time to keep my job. <laughs> and so the very first minicamp we had in the spring, uh, Gruden called me to the side. He said, Brad, this is the time we, we stake our territory on this team, on our defense in practice. Uh, the great Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and John Lynch and all these Hall of Famers and so he said, Brad, are you ready? I said, yeah, I'm ready. So he gives me the play, and I go into our huddle, and I'm looking at my lineman, which was Robin Oman, Kerry Jenkins, Jeff Christie, Cozy Coleman, Kenyatta Walker, Keyshawn Johnson, Keenan McCardell, Joe Jerevicious, Mike Allstott, Michael Pittman, Ken Dilger, Ricky Dudley. I mean, I had them all. I had their attention. I had their eyes. I said, boy, this is, this is the time we stake our, our claim. I said, Gruz, what was that play again? And, and the play was called, you shift to green left west, F short, spire two, Y banana, Z over, heads up for 359 smoke. And I couldn't call the play in the huddle. And he about benched me right then. And, and so he, he got the play, repeated the play, and then we had a great, oops, did it again. But we had a great, um, great offseason with our offense versus defense. And then we went three and one every four games. And, and John was just patient with me, like as far as calling plays in the huddle, teaching me the system, football, and then, and what was really pretty cool, Kelly, we got to the night before the Super Bowl. He said, Brad, all year long, you told me back in February, you can make plays with your feet. I haven't seen it all year long. I need to play out of your feet in this Super Bowl game. I'm nodding my head still again. And, and so the play came up. It's right coming in the third quarter. And the play was called triple right, F short, 72 crisscross Y swing. And basically the play was, it was third and nine. And, and I dropped back and nobody was there. And so you remember when John Elway played in the Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers and he ran and he dove in the end zone and did the helicopter? Yeah. And that was the, called the John Elway moment. And so for me, all my life, people would call me slow, couldn't make plays with my feet and all those kind of things. And here I am in the Super Bowl and I go, it's third and nine. And I, I scramble and I'm running out in open space. And, and here's the picture of what this play was. I don't know if you can see it. Yes. And that's me. I'm running out in space in the Super Bowl. The dream come true. And that was my moment. We got the first down. 
I proved John Gruden I can make plays with my feet. We go on and win the Super Bowl. But that was that was a moment I'd worked for for all my life, jumping rope and running and sprinting for that one moment. So it's pretty cool looking back. But it was a great team, great group of guys, and loved it. So John, uh, also, too, like when John Gruden comes in, he came from the Raiders. Um, was there a lot of emphasis on, you know, I mean, there's no way you can know that you're going to meet up with the team that he left, you know, the year right. before. But when you're playing at the level that you're playing, is there still, because in say when you're playing, you know, youth, you've got this, you know, hey, my buddy is, I'm about to beat my buddy. Is it like that in the NFL and playing at the level that you played at? Are you saying, like, we're going to go beat these guys for John? Um, I, I don't know if it was just for John. I think it was for all of us. You know, I, I think it's – we're and to play in the Super Bowl, it's, it's incredible. And what Gruden did coming to our team, he brought a bunch of free agents. He taught us system football. He inspired us. We had a great career. And, and on our team, we had no one that had ever won a Super Bowl. No coaches, no players. I don't think anybody had ever been to one. And but when you look across the other side of the field, honestly, like I'm looking at Jerry Rice, who's won three Super Bowls, the all-time greatest, and and Bill Romanowski and Rod Woodson and Charles Woodson, Hall of Famers, and and all the above. But you know, at that moment, you're just thinking, let let me just I always call it make the read, make the throw, make the play, and then move to the next one. And to realize that the moment's not too big, that we've worked hard to to be in this moment, but we all need each other to accomplish what we want to accomplish. So I don't think it was more about let's win it for John or let's win it for so-and-so. It's like, this it's a team thing. And at the end of the day, we all get to celebrate as winners. And, and fortunately for us, that day was us. Let's talk about, too, um, some of the players on the, the – talk to us about some of the unsung heroes. Um, because <clears throat> you know – I mean, it's amazing that you were able to name off every one of your linemen. You're right. naming off everybody. Everyone knew about the Warren Saps. They knew about the John Lynches. They knew about the Brad Johnsons. They knew about the Keyshawn Johnsons. Who was someone on the team during that time that you guys wouldn't have won a Super Bowl had that person not been there? Yeah, there, there were three or four defensive guys. Let me just list them real quick, okay? I think uh, there was Simeon Rice, but there's also Greg Spires, our other, uh, our, our other end. There was Dexter Jackson who won the MVP. There was Brian Kelly who played cornerback. And then a leader on that team was on the defensive side that never gets talked about was number 53, Shelton Corals. And I remember my very first day I was there in Tampa. We were running sprints. And, and at the end, they were kind of standing right where I had to kind of get through the end of the line. And I kind of slowed up just so I didn't run into somebody. And I remember he grabbed me and said, Brad, down here we run all the way through the line. Like that's the first time I never did because I didn't want to run into people. But he took a stand. He was a great leader on that team. But – Offensively, we, we, you know, there's Mike Allstotts and those kind of people, but the guy to me that, that was a ringleader for us and the guy that I actually played with him in Minnesota was my center, Jeff Christie, number 62. He was my center. He made all the calls, all those, all the line calls. Just an incredible player. I had a great career, and uh, I'm thankful for Jeff Christie uh, being our center and our line that never gets enough credit for what took place on that team. So thank you, Jeff Christie. <laughs> so in, during that 2002, uh, uh, 2002 season, right? So you guys, you, I mean, you guys do well in the, uh, in the regular season. The play, you, know, you go into the playoffs. Um, can you talk to us about the, the person that you didn't want to play against? Um, you know, that, that opponent that is like, man, I, I just – and then tell us about the person who you love to smash. Yeah. Well, the, one of our, our nemesis, the toughest team we played against, I played against them a bunch when I was in Washington, and it was the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles in Tampa, they had beaten 
beaten Tampa two or three times in the playoffs, had beaten us in the regular season. That year that we won the Super Bowl, October 20th, we went to Philadelphia, and they beat us like 20 to 10, but it felt like it was 55 to nothing. And when I left the stadium, I, I, my ribs were cracked, could never beat Philadelphia up there. And it was just, they were a nemesis. And we knew if we were going to go to the Super Bowl, it, it ran through Philadelphia. They went to four NFC championship games, and they actually went to one Super Bowl. But at the end of the year, for us in the NFC championship, we had to go back up to Philadelphia in the great vet. It was the worst turf field you've ever seen in your life. It was cold. We, we could not win a game under like 40 degrees. Uh, they had a great defense, unbelievable defense. Jim Johnson was the coordinator. He blitzed them from everywhere. And so <clears> – <throat> That, that day, we had a play, and we were struggling in the first quarter. And there was a play in the second quarter. Uh, it was called triple, um, triple right, um, 82, double smash X option. And we had a player for us named uh, Joe Jerevicious. And his boy actually was going – he was in trauma, to be honest with you. And he actually passed away uh, soon after. Um, but we didn't know if he was going to play. And this particular play, I was getting ready to check out of the play. Triple right. 82 double smash X option. And I was getting ready to check to either toss or it's like a little three yard sticker out. And I stuck with the rules of, you know, making a, making a, making a line call and then just trusting the play. And this play, Joe Jervicious caught it over the middle and he ran for 73 yards. And then uh, we ended up scoring a touchdown and gave us momentum. And then we ended up winning the game. And I think that play was the most critical play of that whole season of Buccaneer history as far as winning the Super Bowl, because if we didn't get that momentum play, I don't know if we ever win, to be honest with you. And um, and so thankful for Joe Jarvis, thankful for sticking to the rules. But that was our nemesis, and that was one of the greatest wins ever for us. It was the last game in the bet. So, Brad, as a quarterback, who's the one that you that is the that is the toughest to play against? Is it the is it the linebacker core? Is it a uh, um, a cornerback, and if so, who was that person during your career that you were like, "Oh, damn, I got I, this guy is here again," yeah. you know? Or, or <laughs> right. do do pe are, are people you know do people haunt you like that? You learn you learn to play against competition, so you, you want it, and okay. you don't you don't back down from it. And obviously, I played against Reggie White, Bruce Smith, and Ray Lewis, and Brian Urlacher, and Charles Woodson, and Rod Woodson. But there were two players I thought that were just different. To me, one of those was Deion Sanders, prime time, as we like to call him. <laughs> and he, he, he was prime time. He could shut it down. He would shut it down. And uh, he was a phenomenal player. So you knew to kind of throw, throw away from him. And the other one was actually Ed Reed to me, um, Hall of Famer, played for the Baltimore Ravens. And he just could, he could line up on one side of the field and then run to the other. And he could intercept it or create plays. Really, really smart guys, uh, great playmakers. And, um, usually as a whole, it's more of what the defense was presenting to you, but those were the two guys that just, you know, I had to put my eye out. Where are they right now at all times? <laughs> what was the biggest mistake that you made during that 2002 season? Because I think that most of the time, I mean, we live, we learn from your successes. You, you win the Super Bowl, you're the man, uh, you make the NFL, all the stuff. One of 35 people in the world that ever do this thing. But, and that's great. But I find that I learn more from when a person is like, you know what, I chose this one, and this was probably the worst decision I've ever, I've ever done. Can you talk to us about, like, a, a bad decision that you made during that season? You know, that was actually a pretty good season. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it was really interesting. 
in the playoff games. We played San Fran, we played Philadelphia, and then we played played Oakland in the Super Bowl. In all of those games, in the first series of the game, I had an interception. I only threw six for the season. And to throw them in the first series of the game, and really as a quarterback, especially in the Super Bowl, you have an interception. I got hit on the ball, the ball gets fluttered up. And it, I always say the quarterback position is like running through a gauntlet. When you do good, everyone's patting you on the back. Good job, man. Great throw. Great throw, man. You're the man. And then you throw that interception, whether it's your fault or not. You know, it's like now they're all shooting bullets at you, man. You throw a pick. He's cost us the game. And you find out who your friends are real fast as a quarterback. But you have to have thick skin. You have to stick with the process. You can't panic. In big moments, you can't – you never know when the most important play of the game is. But you're going to have good plays. You're going to have bad plays. The key is just to – negate the, the negative plays. But those three interceptions were very memorable uh, in playoff games. So how is it to be traded too? Because I think a lot of times for us as a, as a fan, when we're watching, we're like, oh, my man got traded. Or, or when he's going, we're just thinking like, okay, cool. Well, just go to that new city, um, you know, put on the uniform. Well, if it's my favorite team, I'm excited. But we don't think about the backside of it, the family. We don't think about the kids. We don't think about the uprooting. Sometimes you have to go and maybe get an apartment or you get a, 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 a temporary home, and then you have to adjust, and you have to adjust to playing with new people. That, those plays that you keep calling, Brad, I couldn't remember right. one word that you said in that thing, and you're right. just able to, bang, you're able to do that. Can you talk to us about that process and, and what it actually means behind the scenes? It's really hard uh, as far as moving. If, it, if it's a trade that takes place, you really don't have a choice where you go. If you're a free agent, you can choose where you want to go. But I remember when I left Minnesota, uh, I'd been there for seven years, and I got traded to the Washington Redskins. And when it happened, um, <laughs> when it happened, I was selling a house. I was building a house in Tallahassee. I was having to find a new place to live in Washington. I had to learn a new system. I went through a knee surgery, two knee surgeries. I had to learn all these new plays. I had to find out how to drive to work. When I walk in, like, where's my locker? Where's my locker at? You know, um, who are the guys on the team? They don't know me. I mean, there's 53 guys on the team. There's, there's 12 or 13 coaches. There's all these secretaries. Like, like, so the first thing I do is I grab a media guide, like, I'm like, I got to learn these people's names. I got to learn the, who they are, where they came from. Like, I'm getting ready to play, step in a huddle. I didn't know how to call a play in the huddle. I told you that earlier. Like, calling a play is tough <laughs> until it gets to you practice enough. But that's a lot. Moving houses, telling my wife we're, we're moving from town to town. Where's she going to live? Who are her friends going to be? It, it, was, it was really interesting. But what you learn is adversity is coming. There's always change. There's always change. And embrace it and be ready to accept it. Like this is a new challenge. Let me learn. Let me learn how to play in a new system. Let me learn how to read plays a different way. Let me guide another team to the playoffs. Let me. Let me. Let's enjoy where we're living. We're we're in Washington D.C. Let's go sightseeing. Let's let's enjoy this instead of making it misery. Like and so th- from that standpoint, I loved it. I got to play when I first got traded. I went from system seven years. Went to go play for North Turner. Loved it. But I went through change three or four times in my career. Ended up having to learn six different systems and lived in a bunch of houses and condos and apartments. So my wife, thank goodness she was patient with me too. So talk to us too about, I mean, your your attitude is infectious. 
And where, where did this come from? Because I think it seems to me, and I, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but every time that you tell a story, it, it, it comes from a gratitude sense, almost as if you understand and know, which you do, it seems, that what you get to do playing a, a child's game for a king's ransom, right? And, right. you know, but you've, a lot of times people lose that. They lose that, and then they focus in, and they're so, you know, they, they lose that bit of joy. Where did that come from? Was that something that your parents taught you and, and they raised you in, or was it something that you saw in coaches or friends or uncles, aunts, whatever it was? Where did it come from, Brad? I think I love to play. I love the work. I love the competition. I loved what I was doing. I had a guy early in my career. He said, Brad, why do you play? And I really couldn't give him the answer. You know, I'd say, well, I want to win a Super Bowl. Well, he said, what if you don't win? He said, well, I want to start in the NFL. He said, what if you don't win? Why do you love football? Well, well, what, I want to make money. Well, what if you don't, what if you don't get a job? What, you know what I mean? And so it took me a long time, to be honest with you, Kelly. So my, I call it my two seconds. So things that happened in the game, why I played the game. I loved, I loved calling a play in the huddle. Axe, double right spear, Larry, 735 H pump, double K to zone two. Two seconds. I love having that command in the huddle. I love coming up line of scrimmage. I love putting the ball in my hand and gripping it. Like, I love the feeling of that. It's just, it's just, it's a feel. I love it. I love dropping back and giving a play fake to my running back and looking the linebacker off and, and threading a dig route. It takes two seconds to do it. I love giving a high five. I love scoring touchdowns and hugging somebody that I probably didn't really know that well. But those are the moments, like I, the two seconds, I call it, you know. And so that's why I played the game. That was the enjoyment of it. And I still love to throw footballs and those kind of things. But, but I think my parents, they, you know, the, the thing you learn is, what you know, the only thing you can control is your attitude and your effort. That's all you can control. You can't control the surroundings. You can't control the play call. You can't control if, if a guy doesn't get blocked. How are you going to respond? So... <laughs> You know, so you got to have that in you. And I think my parents were that way. And I always, the, the last thing I said about that, I was like, I think life's like a mirror sometimes. And if I can walk in front of that mirror and I'm strutting and I'm smiling, I think I look good. That mirror smiles back at me, you know? And, and if I look at that mirror and I'm kind of frowning, I'm kind of like, my hair's a mess. And well, that, that's what that mirror is going to give back to me. And I think when, I think it's interesting when you meet people, like if you shake hands and you smile, they will smile right back at you. If I, if I don't stick out my hand, they may not stick out their hand. If I'm kind of down, like, I'm not contagious. Like, be contagious. Let me, let me be the mirror in the room that impacts everybody. And those are the kind of things I try to do in my life and, and try to, you know, bring a smile, bring laughter, bring entertainment, but bring, like, you know, attitude and effort and something that's contagious that can be good for our room. So, Brad, I mean, you're a phenomenal human being. Uh, I just want, I want to say that. But let, let's talk, too, about the, um, about the family aspect, right? Because I, I see it so prevalent, you know, in, in Big Brad, Brad now with trick shots and having fun. Right. And I see your family and there's, you know, all those things, which is amazing. Um, navigating a marriage is one thing. Navigating a marriage while you're a professional athlete is a completely other thing. Can you talk to us about what some of the components were? And, I mean, obviously, we need to give a shout-out to your wife because, you know, her, Yeah. I mean, I tell you, any wife 
that that yeah. uh, is in the realm of someone who who performs at a high level, I tell you, there's we couldn't do it without you. So let's let's talk about that and what are some of the components, um, you know, in a marriage. Whether I mean, because most of the people out there that are listening right now are not going right. to win the Super Bowl. They're they're, they're not going to play right. at the highest level, but. You know, we all want to be successful in our family and our marriage. What were some of those components? Yeah, I'm thankful for my wife, Nikki. We've been married for 23 years. She played volleyball in college at South Florida. for uh, So she was an athlete. She kind of understood. Her brother was a head coach at uh, – coached me at Florida State. He uh, was a head coach at Georgia and University of Miami, Mark Rick. So she understood sports, that kind of component. And so, you know, we were on the same alignment, same – uh, same page with everything. And so having two kids, like it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's work, you know, and then there's, there's the part where you work and you compete and you play. And then when that's over, then you have to see, compartmentalize it. Now I'm, I'm home with the, I gotta be dad and I gotta be husband. And so it's, it's a great investment on both of our parts. And so in my career early, I mean, honestly, the first four or five years, I remember, uh, when we first got married, I said, you know, I was telling my wife, Nikki, I said, there's three things that always kind of come up. It's, you know, you got family, like who's around you, like the rest of the family, you know, and then you got politics and you got religion. Those are, well, what's, what's, and she's like, what's wrong with my family? I said, nothing's wrong with your family, but I, you know, we're just, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be us, you know? And so honestly, the first five years of our kids, her mom lived with us mm. on the, where we lived in Minnesota, Washington and those kind of things, Tampa and, and so, you know, I had to have that relationship with her too, you know, but the love that we give our kids is incredible. We, when our kids were young, like I, when I come home from practice, it was my favorite thing. And I pick up my kids and I'd hold them upside down. And they'd usually, I'd end up changing my shirt five times a day with all the throw up and stuff on me uh, from the kids. But, but we, we wanted, we made it, we made just a pact or whatever you want to call it. Like we, we always, we talked with our kids, we play with our kids, we hugged our kids. I think touch, I think wrestling with boys is key, you know, and just, or whatever that may be. And I would try to, honestly, when they were young, I would try to either pat on the back, say, I love you, touch, or be something positive. Almost was crazy, almost a hundred times a day, whether they know it or not. And just, uh, and that was, those were things for us, but we love our kids. And obviously it was a, it's a family thing that we've been a part of to, to make our family tight. So, so Brad, uh, my favorite quarterback in the entire world is a guy named Maddox Cardenas. He's my son. He's 10 years old. Um, and can you, can you give him a little bit of advice? He plays for the Wildcats. And if you could give them a little shout out, uh, but he plays for the Wildcats. And, um, but what, what, what could you give him as far as like, you know, a young quarterback, um, you know, 10 years old, having a good time. What would be some of the things that, that he could focus on? Maddox, I would tell him, I say early, I say a few things, okay? Just a few things. I'd say learn the fundamentals of the game. Learn the technique. So when I throw a football, for instance, quarterback, I call it beef, balance, eyes, elbow fall through. I don't have anything for blocking, but but learn the techniques or fundamentals of your position and play all positions. I would tell you to, um, I, I would tell you to be, be a great listener. Listen to the coaches. I also tell you, be a great follower. Learn from the others. And then the most important part of it, too, is as all this goes on and you improve and get better, I'd say use the word fun. And I call it, I spell it F-U-N, fun, capital letters. 
have fun in the sport and learn and grow and just and and and, and get better every day and every play you're not, you're not you're not competing for the Super Bowl that day but just go play be a great teammate encourage someone besides yourself and um, so that's kind of where I'd leave it so, Brad, why is Big Bad Brad so important to you? I mean, we were talking, and I asked about your hat. You right. said, no, that just covers my hair. And then you looked down, and you were like, oh, I got the Big Bad Brad hat. And yeah, you're, yeah. now you're doing, trick, you're doing trick shots, you're having fun, things like that. Can you talk to this? Because I think a lot of times people lose the kid. They lose the kid, yeah. and then they wonder why the rest suffers. Yeah. So this hat, honestly, this, okay, this was given to me after the Super Bowl. It says Big Bad Brad. And then it had the Roman numerals uh-huh. and that like that. So it was just getting to, I hadn't worn it for 20 years. And so one day I started making, I started getting on TikTok and these trick shots. And so what I try to do with my, my trick shots is I try to make a sequence of maybe three, four, maybe five in a row. Okay. And so in that process, I, I played college basketball and I was good at that. I could throw a football. And so with it, you know, I just, I started having fun with it and it, it became, you know, can I make these shots? Sometimes everyone asks, how long does it take? And I always say it's either first time, first take, or it takes what it takes, or it's a lifetime of practice to do what I'm doing, you know? And so, and, and when I do these videos, I send them out. I, my, my goals with it is to make people smile, make people laugh, entertain people, and hopefully they say, what's next, okay? But when you see me celebrate and the shot goes in, I mean, it, it takes what it takes. I'm out there sweating, and then I I, I pump in my fist and when it goes in, it is true jubilation. Okay. And some of those videos, some of the, I did a basketball one the other day. It took seven and a half hours, like three different days to accomplish this goal without anything. One, one of them took me, oops, one of them took me 15 hours to do accomplish. So life is not, it's, and everyone gets caught up in like, it's got to happen the first time. But for me, so when you see me celebrate, I mean, it's, I am pumped up, you know, cause I, I don't know if anybody else could do it because I don't know if they wouldn't be committed out there to miss that many shots. And when it, but when it goes in, it's a great feeling. It's almost like winning a game. It's like a two-minute drive. You start feeling nervous on the last shot, whatever it may be. So I've had fun with it. And, and honestly, we, with the Big Bad Brad, we, we came up with a bunch of merchandise. And, and so the merchandise, it's, on, it's on, honestly, it's cafepress.com backslash Big Bad Brad 14. And what it does – all the money goes to a charity called Beyond All Borders up in Asheville, North Carolina, and it just helps people so you can buy merchandise and do all that kind of stuff with it. But but when I put on the hat and make these shots, it's like Superman putting on a cape before he does it. I can't make the shot without the hat. That's that's kind of where it's grown into. So how is it with your with your kids? You have two sons, am I correct? Right. Okay, so you have two sons. They, they Are they playing football? They are. Max they are. and Jake, okay. uh, they're both uh, – they're both at Texas A&M. One's a quarterback and one's a tight end. So I always, I always say this, like if, if you were, you know, Michael, Michael Jordan, right, has a son, Michael Jordan's son should not play basketball. And the reason why is because the expectation part of it, right? Right. How do you get your kids not to feel the pressure? Because, I mean, it's there. Their dad is a right. Super Bowl champion. You know what I mean? Played right. at the highest level, right. won at the highest level, is in this elite company. I mean, do they just, I mean, are you able to give them advice as, as a quarterback or do they just say, no, dad, shut up? Yeah, with, with Max, he's a quarterback, so I coached him pretty much out of the womb. Okay. Coached all his middle school, middle school, high school teams. Same thing with Jake. The difference with Max, he's a quarterback, so I could actually tell him what he's doing, and that was <laughs> halfway right. And, and then Jake, he was a tight end, so I didn't know how to run routes or catch or block, those kind of things. But with them, we always said, listen, whatever you start, finish. 
be a part of a team um, and blaze your own path. And so there's no pressure from me. They're on their own path. They have their own choices. They work as hard as they want to work. I'll coach them or I won't coach them, those kind of things. But we have a great relationship. We, we, uh, we're able to talk and communicate about all of it. But there's no pressure from me or our family. It's more of like if it's something that you love to do, go do it and go be great at it. And, and then don't have any – don't have if you're going to do something, don't have regrets. So now as a parent, watching them playing in front of big stadiums and stuff, I'm, I can't tell them who to throw to or who to block. or I can't say look out. You can't hear me. So they're on their <laughs> own out there, and I'm just trying to eat popcorn and be a dad in stands. What do you think, whether positive or negative, about the NIL stuff that has happened with, with college athletes now? And, I mean, do you see is – there, is there positive and negatives, or is it all negative, or is it all positive? Where are you at with it? It's something new to me. I, I mean, I, I go back to the Olympics growing up. Like, we didn't – it was all amateurs for the love of the game. And then it changed and became paid, paid Olympians, you know, which they deservedly so for what they accomplished and sponsorships and those kind of things. And, and also when NIL came out, I'm like, no way should kids get NIL money. They get a full scholarship and they get money on the side and from, you know, just going to school. And then NILs, now you can make a lot of money and those kind of things. And that, it's just the way of the world. And so with that, I just hope that there's not jealousy amongst players. You hope it's done along the right way. You hope the kids, they learn how to manage their money. You hopefully they learn how to pay taxes, those kind of things. So if a kid can make money nowadays, then I'm more power to it. But it, it's gone, it's gone, the game has gone a little bit more corporate than I'm used to, just the true love of the game of maybe what school I'm going to to ask and what kind of NIL deals can I get. So totally, totally foreign to me. But um, it's just times have changed, and you got to go with it. Brad, what's the funniest thing that happened during your NFL career? Because a lot of times people just think about, oh, no, I need Brad to be on this week, and he needs to do this. But we don't realize as a fan watching that you're a human being, that you're playing with your buddies, you're having a good time. Can you, talk, can you let us in on some of the funniest experiences that you had during your NFL career? One of the most eye-opening things to me when I was a rookie, we said I was a ninth-round pick, and I was a third-string quarterback, and I didn't get many reps. And so we had a game. Uh, Rich Gannon was a starter, and he got hurt. I mean, oh, gosh, you know, I'm now, now I'm, I'm on deck. And then Sean Salisbury, he was the second-string quarterback. He, he gets dinged up. We had to call timeout to keep him in the game. And I was over there like just <laughs> – I wasn't ready. I was praying. I'm like, come on, Sean, get up. Get healthy, bro. You know, and so Sean played. I didn't have to go in the game. So the next day in the in the meeting room, our uh, coordinator, his name was Jack Burns. He's doing the film, flicking back and forth, and he's making a joke. He says, "I got one quarterback dinged up that doesn't know where he's at. Rich Gannon, concussion. I got another one that's, that's uh, he can't he can't he can't get up off. He's got he's got knocked out, hurt ribs or whatever. And then I got another one in me that's hyperventilating on the sidelines. <laughs> and he was a hundred percent right." I was not ready to play. And uh, so sometimes you need a thing like that. And I remember there was a game up and, and uh, we played in Buffalo and Warren Moon was the start of this when I was backing up. And it was a cold, wet day. And you got Bruce Smith over there on the other side. Greg Talley. I mean, I'm, you know, the whole list, Jim Plunkett. I mean, uh, Jim Kelly is the quarterback for them. And and so it was cold. And I remember I was on the sidelines. They got those burners and, and on the, you know, under the, under the benches and those kind of things. And then, Warren Moon, he's a Hall of Fame player, and he never got hurt. I never played. So I was over on the sidelines. I put my helmet next to the burner, 
And next thing I know, my, my helmet was on fire. It burned all the electrical outlets on. Warren Moon, he just got hurt, but it was during a timeout change. And I'm like, holy, I can't even go in the game. It's my moment, but I can't go in the game. And then somehow during the, the quarter change, they got me a new helmet. Warren got healthy. And so I got reprieved a couple of times there. But a lot of funny things happen. And it's just human beings on the sidelines. And you just kind of go with it sometimes. So you came, you came into the NFL just as the Oilers were transferring over. Am I correct? Because they were the correct, Tennessee correct. Oilers your first season. Um, they were actually the Houston Oilers. Then they went to Tennessee. Yep. So, so I'm, I've been a, and everyone out there that's been riding with me on the podcast, you know, I am a, um, irrational Oilers fan, a irrational Titans fan. Um, can you give me Brad, at least one story, Brad, big Brad, Brad story about either the Oilers or the Titans, uh, th- during your, during your career that, that was, was amazing. <laughs> Well, it wasn't amazing for me, okay? <laughs> so it's amazing for me, Brad. <laughs> it's amazing for you. It's amazing for you. If you play long enough as a quarterback, you'll have every good stat and you'll have every bad stat. So <laughs> I'm getting ready to give you a bad one. But so we were, uh, I was playing for the Redskins on Monday Night Football, and we were 6-2 and two at the time. And, and um, is that the end of the half? It was like 12 seconds to go. And, but we was, it was a fourth down call. And we're about on a 40-yard line. So we're too far away to kick a field goal or whatever it was. And so I dropped back and scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. I got to make a play. I got to throw it in there. And then because I said it's the end of the quarter or end of the half. And I throw it in there. And the guy named Andre Roll, who played at Florida State, was a corner. He intercepts it. I'm like, well, we'll tackle it. And I'm over here. And I'm over here. My eyes go over here. Somebody knocks me out. And then he runs the, he runs the length. It's like the longest yard. The, the horn goes off at the end of the half. He scores a touchdown. I'm exhausted chasing him, got beat up. And I'm like, so that was my Tennessee Titans on Monday night. It was not good for me, but uh, <laughs> we lost the game. It was rough. One. Oh, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. I had a, a team that I got a chance to coach. Uh, it was a basketball team. And the, I asked them what their <laughs> name wanted to be. And they were purple and yellow. And we live in California. And so I thought they were going to be, well, the Warriors were big at the time. And I thought either the Warriors or the obvious one was the Lakers. And these kids came together, they talked a little bit, and then they said, Coach, we got our name. It's the Chicken Nugget Makers. <laughs> so we, we took the Chicken Nugget Makers, and we played basketball, and we said, uh, what I said to them, I said, we're going to focus on three things. We're going to focus on defense, passing, and rebounds. And all of them asked me, what about scoring, Coach? I said, scoring will take care of itself if you take care of those three things. What are some of the things that – whether it be in, in football, because I think the principles that you have as a quarterback and that you had you know, at a high level with, as a quarterback, you use those in every aspect of your life. And if all the people listening and watching you, all your stories have come back to those fundamental kind of things. What are right. some of the things that most people pass up on because they're not the shiny things that if they focused on, they would see a, a larger result like, you're, like, you're, like you have throughout your life? Yeah, and, and, and so in football terms... There was, there was a book uh, by P.D. Carrillo. He's a basketball coach at, Prin- at Princeton. Uh, he just passed away. And in the book, he says, practice on the things that happen in games. So a lot of times, and trying to make this in parallel to life, but a lot of times if I'm spinning a basketball, it's probably not going to happen in a game. So you need to practice shooting free throws. You need to practice 
rebounding. You need to practice making good passes. Practice making a, a jump shot. Practice what happens in games. Not, not you know, full court half hook shots, bounce them in, those kind of things, you know? And so for me, my whole life, going back to a little bit of the trick shots too, like I was always about skills and drills and for the kill kind of thing, like what happens in games. And, and so now I'm just having fun with the trick shots and making them bounce in. And I can afford to do that at 53 years old. I can kind of do what I want to with those kind of <laughs> things. But, but, but I think, I think work on the meat of what happens in life. And um, what are the most important things? Make those, make the most, most important things, the most important things. And then all the other stuff is just, it's, it's dessert. It's, it's, it's the appetizers and those don't really count, but the make the meat for your family. It's the meat. It, it's your faith. It's your family. It's your family time that you have together. It's the, it's the communication. It's the relationships. It's, it's the bond that you have. Those that's the meat of the family for us. And um, so that's, that's kind of the way I played was practice what happens in games. And for our family, let's make our family tight, close. And what's, you know, as we grow in life, let's prepare these two boys to become men. And then eventually uh, for us, Max and Jake, eventually, you know, husbands and hopefully fathers and those kind of things. And, and so, and they'll carry it on for generations to come too. So Brad, with the, uh, as a person who has basically lived in the public eye, you constantly had people shoving microphones in your face and they were asking you questions. And a lot of times you'll get the same exact question at the end of the game. Oh, what did you see as Victor? And you could, you could script that. Right. You could you could write it out, be like, well, we played together as a team, um, you know, right. if we focus or if they do a pregame one, they're asking you these questions. What do you wish that someone would ask you? Yeah, well, during the games, just so you know, like if something like that came, there's always the quote of when you win, say little and when you lose, say less. So because when you, 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 you get into reasons and, and blaming and those kind of things, you know, and so. <clears throat> I think the one, and I kind of answered it earlier with you a little bit, but the question would be like, what makes you tick? What makes you play? Why do you play? And I talk about the two seconds. And so I'd say the same thing. Like, why does Tom Brady play? He's won seven Super Bowls. He's 45 years old. Like, what is he trying to play? And he probably loves throwing a spiral. He probably loves calling the play in the huddle. He probably loves winning. He probably loves anticipation of like, if we don't make this play, it's we're going to lose. Like, it's exciting when you win. And so that was probably the question of, I wish I would, you know, people would have got to know me. We didn't have social media back when I played. And so you didn't get to know who we really were at the time. And, uh, and now you can get out who you are instead of just like a little arc on the paper. Now it's, you can be national news every time with Instagram or Twitter and those kind of things. But those are the kind of things I wish we kind of got convey a little bit more of who we were, but I try to keep it personal too. Um, didn't try to bring my family too much in the spotlight when that was my job and that was my position to quarterback of a team. What is your wife not hearing enough from you? You know what? My wife, we, we try to do a good job of communicating. Um, well, you know, the first it's the first time for us now. We're empty nesters, mm. to be real. You know, that's real. And so I can't, I can't blame the uh, buying the cookies. <laughs> and you know, for the kids now, they're on me now. <laughs> they're on me. And 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 so I think it's that part we both say is kind of like let's let's redate all over again. Let's let's play cards. Let's play let's play uh, any kind of connect four. Let's let's communicate on 
let's have fun together. Let's go to movies again. Let's 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 just spend time. Let's go for a walk. Where well, it used to be all about our kids. Now I think more of us now is just like how can we reconnect even more? Where it's just more of us now as as empty nesters, not making just you know all about our kids. So Brad, uh, when you when you play at the level that you do and you have and you win at that level, you have to have this uh, this switch. And you know the switch that I'm talking about. It's that that out, uh, that apex predator. It's that lion, that switch that says like right. we're going to get this thing. You know what I mean? That that kill right. shot. You know what I'm talking about. How do you manage that? And how do you turn it on and off? Or can you? It's tough. It's tough um, because it, 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 it's such an investment. So hopefully, hopefully you you're aligned with your wife on what's what is job, what is in season, what is the daily schedule to what is the off season. And so, and what it takes in the off season, but we were lying into all those things. And my wife and I, we let each other go. We let each other pursue uh, whatever we want to do. She wanted, she wanted to become a, she actually paints furniture now for fun. Uh, she did, she became a photographer. She was actually a physical therapist early when we first, when we first got married, but really we kind of let each other do our own thing. But, but the switch, as far as playing sports, um, I'm just thankful for her that she, obviously she played sports and, she understood what was going through and the stress stress is real. So go ahead, go ahead and acknowledge it. We, we did. And, and she was one that we could, I uh, felt like she had great sense of what was taking place within our team or my, my, um, what I want to accomplish as an individual. But honestly, Kelly, I don't achieve what I do did without her, without her taking the, um, she would just take all the, take, taking the kids or, or, or taking care of the families when people come visit us or let me do my workouts or whatever it was. She, it doesn't happen without her. So it's definitely a 50, 50 partnership and of all those kind of things. So thankful for her. Brad, I had an experience. It was probably a, a year into my marriage. Um, my wife and I, we got, uh, we got pregnant and then we got, uh, so we got pregnant and then we got married in June. We had their baby in December and then the following October, I had this great idea to open a business in a city where we didn't live all the way across the country. This is a brilliant idea. Um, brilliant. So we got, well, actually, we got married in June. Um, we got, well, we had our child in December. And, and then, let's see, um, in October, we, we opened, the, opened a, another business. And I remember working... And I remember opening up it was just when banking went online and I went online to check my bank account and everything was zeroed out. Everything had no money. All my credit cards were uh, all maxed out. I had, um, you know, so Susie Orman, probably not going to sponsor the show. Um, she, she had, uh, we had zero. We had all the credit lines maxed out, all the credit cards maxed out, everything. And I'm sitting, I'm looking and I'm like, I'm working harder than I ever had in my entire life. And I'm like, how can this happen? And I'm so frustrated. And I remember that moment and it was a turning point for me with my wife and in our relationship. She came up and she scratched me on my back and she said, everything's going to be okay. We're going to work through this thing. Do you have a moment like that or moments with your wife? And if so, could you tell us about them? Honestly, I, I can't really say there's the moment. I can say there was, there were times, I remember I was a free agent and I was choosing from, I was leaving Washington and what, what where I wanted to go. And I remember she was behind it. I was going, honestly, I was going to go to Baltimore and, 
the more we went in depth about it, she's like, I think Tampa is the place for you because of um, what's happening with contract wise with what's, what's the opportunity to be the first quarterback to have ever won it for, for Tampa, uh, for what you want to accomplish. And, but it, but there's so many downtimes too. I mean, that you don't win every game, every pass you throw is not a touchdown. It's, there's some tough times and I hope tough people last longer than tough times. Well, you know, there's a lot of dark moments as a, as a, as an athlete also. And so, but she had to live it with me and without her by my side, without her, you know, partnership with our kids, it doesn't happen. I'm not who I am without her. I really feel that. And so thankful for who she is. Um, thankful for the impact she's made on the family, but thankful for, you know, I can't imagine being with someone else, you know? So it's, uh, just very thankful for her. How was that transition out of the NFL and into civilian life? And, and are you able to, because I mean, number one, you're six, you're six, five, you're six, 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 five. Okay. Six, five. So, at six, five, you, you stick out anyway. Right. But, right. but also there's probably not a person in your town that doesn't know who Brad Johnson is. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so how right. was that, how was that transition, the positive and the negative coming out of, you know, this uh, being in the spotlight, being in the NFL, everything like that, and then coming back into civilian life? It was tough. Okay. So when I first got out, you know, when I, when I was done, I was like, well, what am I working out for? Like, I got no place to go. I got, I can't go to work. I don't have all these, I'm not going to the field to train, to throw balls. I'm not going to the weight room to, to go get ready for a season. I'm doing it for my health or, well, I got no place. Where's my group at? And I had no play. I had no guys to call the play in the huddle. You know what I mean? Where did I go? Like I, I used to have responsibility. I used to get free tickets to go in the stadium. Now I'm like on StubHub buying tickets. Like I, what happened? You know? And it goes calm. It goes dry. It goes blank. It goes dark. Like, and so for me, fortunately, I got really involved. We live in Athens, Georgia. Got really involved with a school called Prince Avenue and started coaching youth sports, started coaching middle school sports, started coaching high school sports. I just got involved. And so then, honestly, I was able to start sharing my stories, show my impact to give to others, to, you know, whether it's a kid trying to become, how to teach them how to throw a pass to become maybe a starter or, or give them a story. Maybe a kid had a rough time and I can give them a story of my past, but I was able to share. So, Honestly, yeah, it was tough. For the first month, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I got no place to go. And uh, and that was really, that was my blessing that was given to me to impact others. I, I was not a guy that wanted to go on and be a coach. I didn't want to go get fired and move from team to team. I didn't want to go be an announcer and be away from my be away from my family. I wanted to be with my family. I got that. I got to go coach was always a dream come true. And so the, the transition is real. Mm-hmm. It's real. And uh but my wife and I, we made it work, and uh, it's, it's pretty pretty cool. So, Brad, what have you never told anybody? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. You caught me off guard on that one. I don't know. I felt it was pretty open, so I, I'm not. I have to think about that one. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about that one. Okay. <laughs> What would you what would Sorry. you say as far as like if you were you know it's a, a a question that we think about all the time if you were able to um you know go back and and talk to 10-year-old Brad like what would you what would you say knowing what you know now The one thing let me show you this picture okay Yes sir let me show you this picture Bring it right up this by is, your face so everyone can see it okay. move it over to the yes yes you I see, see it yes Got it Yep 
Pretty clear. You see yep. both of us? Yes. Oh, over All towards right. your face just a little bit. Over the uh, other way, other way, other way. Right. Uh, this way. Yeah, right there and then up. There just is. right there. All right, yes. See that picture right there? Got it. I'll just hold it up. All right, there's the picture. So that was in the Super Bowl. And, and when it happened, we hugged and you saw the big smile. You saw the smile. And I wish, I wish I would have smiled more mm. as a kid. I was in it for the skills and drills and kills, like I told you earlier. I wish I would have said, somebody said, who's your favorite player? I said, Chris Carter, named CC, greatest hands ever. My buddy Chris Walsh, White Lightning, had nicknames for him. I wish I would have smiled more. I wish I'd enjoyed the moment more, embraced the moments more. I was always about making moments. But then almost like, what's the next moment? Like trying to move on to the next one. Right, let me enjoy this moment right here, right now. And I think that's the biggest thing is if I'm telling kid now, enjoy the moments, make the memories, and then let's, we'll move on from there. But smile, bring laughters. Um, and that's what it was. I tell, that's what I tell Brad at 10 years old. So uh, I, I, I told the crew, uh, the, the moms and dads that are coaches or that are part of the Wildcats and the coaches, which is uh, Coach Adrian and Coach Rich. I'm very big. I don't know if you, how you are. You're from the South, so I think you are. I'm very big on kids calling me either Coach Kelly, Coach C, Mr. Kelly, Mr. C, but there is no Kelly and there is no, like, there is no first name basis with any kid. I, just the way I was raised. Do you feel that way? A little bit. But or do, a little kid, bit. do kids so call you it, Brad? It, it kind of goes both ways here a little bit, okay? So in the pros, when I was in college, I played for Bobby Bowden. It was Coach Bowden. Everything is by last name. Coach Bowden. Got it. Coach Rick. Total respect. In high school, I think it should be by the last names. Got uh, Coach Nolan, Coach Johnson, whatever it may be. In the pros, everything is by first name basis. Okay. So if I say Coach Johnson, he'd say, he'd say Player Brad. Okay, <laughs> so it's a coach. He can play right. So everything's on first name basis. So, but I made an emphasis. I 100 percent. And I think whatever you say, that's the way it should be okay. for me and who Brad is. I had every kid call me Coach Brad. It wasn't Brad. It was Coach Brad. And so I've had all these kids since third grade. And now they've gone off to college. They still call me Coach Brad. It's always by coach, not by first name, like in the pros. But I think that's the respect it should be. If you go by your last name, it should be by the last name. Whatever the coach says is the way it should be. But I was emphatic about making that known to the kids. It's always about respect, but I was, I was Coach Brad. So it's, that, but it was always by coach. Can you give a little shout-out to Coach Adrian and, and, uh, and Coach Rich and the Wildcats? Coach Adrian, Coach, coach Rich, the Wildcats, I know you're off to a great season. You're going to get it done. You're going to compete, you're going to have fun, and you're going to make memories. <laughs> hey, Let's Brad, who, who, was, who was the toughest coach that you ever played for? Um, probably my high school coach. Mm. Uh, played for, for two really tough ones. And my football coach was Kenny Ford. My basketball coach was Bill Burroughs. They were excellent coaches. And Coach Bill Burroughs, he, was, he, he ran practice like a college practice, and he was in the – we could still run the plays today if we, if we, if we still – if we lined up in the gym. Um, and I taught those same things as a, as a coach and thankful for the toughness, but thankful for the, uh, 
the 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 toughest, but the respect that we had for each. He taught love. He taught compete. He taught team. All those things. But Kenny Ford, I got to be thankful for him. My senior year of high school, I was actually getting ready to quit, and I was going to play just basketball. I wanted to go basketball, but so the first three days of uh, of football practice, I actually missed. And he was a new coach, and he taught. He, he said, "Brad, you need to come out in football. You have a lot of potential." Um, it'll be the most fun time of your life. And I really, we'd lost a bunch of games. My record in high school is four and six, five and five and six and five in the playoffs. Like, so it wasn't fun. Then my senior year, he taught me into playing. Uh, we went 10 and three is the most fun I ever had. And then I went on to get a scholarship and then the rest was history. But so I'm thankful for coaches, um, uh, for the way they coach, the way they teach. And then whether it's tough or whether it's, you know, fun or however it is, I, you got to be thankful for those guys that commit to kids. So when you're with your career, when you look back and when you look back at that and, and as you move forward, what is the thing that uh, was probably the hardest lesson that you ever learned that at the time was like, man, I hated this, but now you look back at it and it's like, that is such an amazing part of my foundation. Uh, not getting to play. Mm. I was, I was benched in college. Um, didn't think I deserved it, but it happened. And the guy that they replaced me with was my best friend, Casey Weldon. He ended up running, he ended up being the runner up to the Heisman. We were number one in the nation at the time. He's living my dream and, and I, best friends, but I still had to support him. And, um, and then the greatness of it too, with the coaches was I respected their decision for what they said, the reasons why. And I respected them as human beings. And Coach Bowden was one of the all-time legends of college football. And Coach Rick, he later became my brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> he benched me now to a brother-in-law. So <laughs> Do you still give him a hard time? Do you still give him a hard time about it? it? We laugh about it. But <laughs> what there was was respect, you know? Yeah. And then Casey actually ended up being my backup at Washington. Wow. So it's funny how things go, but – but I remember the thing I appreciated was there's only one spot to play as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it was a tough time, but I embraced adversity. I embraced like, I'm not ever going to let this happen again. I'm going to do whatever, whatever it takes to keep that position, keep that job. So, but I would I tell you, embrace adversity, but that was a tough time in my life. And, and I got to be honest with you. So when that happened, when I got bitched in college, let me, let me show you something. So in my room, I'll, I'll show you real quick here. Okay. Yes, so please show tear it up. So, so this is, I'm in my ping pong room. So you can see a bunch of Larry Bird posters. Down yes. There. And I'm going to take you to the other end. These are life-size books. Can you see? Can you oh, see yeah. down there? Yes. Okay, you see two lifetime life-size posters in there. So Larry Bird was my hero growing up as a kid. Okay? And so when I got benched in college, I got this friend named T.R. Robinson. And so he just kind of, he meets people. I don't know how he does it, okay? He met Larry Bird. And so I got this about a week or two after I got benched, I got this letter in the mail. Here it is right here. So I'll hold it up so you can see it. I had a frame. So I'll kind of hold it like that. Okay. So I'm going to read you this letter real quick. Okay. Yes, sir. So this letter says, Brad, just got off the, I'm going to put the, so you read the lady bird so you can see see it back here a little bit. So you kind (laughs) of bring a little levity to it. Okay. So there we're kind of, we'll do it like that. I'll read it to you right now. Okay. Good to show and tell. Yes. All right. It says, Brad, just got off the phone with TR. He had a little bit about life. He told me a little bit about life at Noland. I thought I'd relate this story to you. Remember when I kept hurting my foot, all the skeptics came out, but I kept on believing. 
Then I kept, then I came back and they said I was slower, wider and uglier, but I kept on believing. It would have been easy to have called it a career, but looking back on it, I'm glad I kept on believing. So Brad, a little advice. There are a lot of people who believe in you. So keep, keep your head up, keep busting your tail and always remember to keep on believing. Larry Bird. And so, you know, I got a letter from my hero, you know? And so at a time in my life when I'm ready to quit college football, like, where's my career going? I got nothing left. Like, what's, I mean, so I think it's important that no matter who you are, if you, what, what gets lost now is we will send each other a quick little text or something like that. But now the ability to write a letter or just an encouraging note to someone, it could impact someone's life, change their life and keep moving forward. And for him, it's keep on believing. I thought my career was over. I kept on believing. And, and so those moments that you go through tough times, like, Something better is coming. Something better coming. So just work and keep on believing for your goals and set goals and have a passion about it, and then everything will take place after that. So I would encourage people to you know, take a little time, write somebody a little note, just encourage someone. Well, Brad, you're the Larry Bird right now. You know what I mean? And you're the Larry Bird for yeah. so many people out there listening and so many people out there watching you in your life. I started the podcast because of my kids, Maddox and McKenna. They're, uh, Maddox is 10. Like I told you, he's just about to turn third or 11. Uh, my daughter's 13 years old. Her name is McKenna. I wanted to take the reason why I started the podcast. Cause I want to take iconic people like yourself. And I wanted yeah. to show my kids that anything was possible as long as you had, as you had the right attitude and the right uh, work ethic. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be amazing. Yeah. I'd say Maddox and McKenna. I'd say smile. I say, listen to your parents, ask questions, um, be yourself. Yourself is good enough. Um, be where you are. Enjoy, enjoy the gift. God's, what you are is God's gift to you. And what you make of yourself is your gift to God. Encourage someone beside yourself, but just enjoy the moments. <laughs> enjoy. If you're at the beach, like we're at the beach, let's have fun now. Like, Let's don't go to the beach and like wish we were somewhere else in the mountains. Like let's let's enjoy our time now. Mm. Be where your feet are. And and for me, you know, sometimes I can get on my phone and no, no, no. When we we're gonna be together, let's enjoy moments. Let's, let's put the phones up. Let's let let the time be the time. If it's at the beach, let's be at the beach. If it's at the dinner table, let's be at the dinner table. If it's playtime, go play. But McKenna and, and, and Maddox, enjoy, go make memories, have fun and um, make great moments. Brad, you have been phenomenal today. I mean, it's, it's amazing because every single thing that every story that you told had a common thread and that common thread was, it was integrity. Uh, it was doing the right things. I mean, and it's amazing because you, it's very seldom that you find people that have that much consistency in what they do and who they are. And I want to, right. I want to thank you for that. I told you before yeah. that I was going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. So no <laughs> no you, you are stuck with me, man. I, w I would love no to doubt. have you back on the show. Um, so I'm going to yeah. ask you in front of everyone. So you have to say yes, just like my kids <laughs> asked me to, then my, my son pulled me aside after the game last night, after the Wildcats, they, they, they lost by two points, but they did, they had so much fun. And he, yeah. my son no comes doubt. up to me in front of all the other parents is like, can I have a sleepover with Hugo? 
I was like, <laughs> well, of course you you can because I mean I'm not going to be that dad. So um, I I, I want to have you on the show again, but I tell you, yeah, like, love to. With what you're doing, and when you talked about the merch, the Big Bad Brad that is going all to charity, we're going to have a link for that. All of you listening, we're going to have a link for that in the bio, so you can click that. You can do that. Brad, you have been absolutely phenomenal. I, I want to thank you. Uh, everyone out there listening to, thank you so much for helping us to become the in the top 1% globally as far as all podcasts. And I want to thank you, every single person for listening. Check out the sponsors. You know, do it the things that you know you need to do. Um, but Brad, I, I am uh, blown away and I am honored to have you on the show, man. And you are officially off the hot seat. Yep. All right, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the friendship that we started. And uh, it's going to be looking forward to see where we go. But I'd love to be on your, on your, uh, on your show again or wherever it may be. Come speak at your group. So I thank you. You got it, buddy. Right.